0: Welcome back to the show. My guest in this segment is Jeffrey Clayton, executive director of the American Bail Coalition, here to talk today about the recently passed California law SB 10 dealing with the state's bail bond system, the reform of which continues to get considerable attention on the national level. Prior to joining the American Bail Coalition as Policy Director in May 2015, Jeff Clayton's been involved in public policy and government relations for 15 years and as a licensed attorney for the past 12 years. Most recently, he was the General Counsel for the Professional Bail Agents of Colorado in addition to serving other clients in legal legislative and policy matters. Jeff represented the Colorado State Courts and Probation Department, the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, and the United States Secretary of Transportation. He is also a prior Presidential Management Fellow and finalist for the U.S. Supreme Court Fellows Program. Jeff completed his Bachelor's of Arts from Baylor University, his Master's in Science and Public Policy from the University of Rochester, New York, and his law degree from the Sturm College of Law, University of Denver. He comes to us today from Denver. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Jeff Clayton.
1: Pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's good to have you on. Now, just before we begin, pull into this whole Senate Bill 10... Give us, would you, a background about the American Bail Coalition to offer listeners some context about your advocacy and um, who's part of this coalition?
1: Absolutely. The American Bail Coalition is a trade association of surety insurers. In other words, these are the guys that back the bail bondsmen that bail – Uh, People out of jail. So there is a financial incentive in that respect. The coalition, however, and the reason that I agreed to do the job uh, works to fundamentally protect the right to bail, which can include the right to a bail bondsman, but also in general, the right to bail and the right to uh, being released prior to trial is really what I focus on in my role as, as executive director.
0: And we'll get into some social justice issues as we peel back what's going on with the law. But I I wanted to have everybody understand a little bit where you're coming from there. With the Senate Bill ten eliminating cash bail in California, which was signed into law by Governor Jerry Brown last month, August twenty eighth, people keeping track. So lay out would you what the current policy with bails is in California, how it works, how it affects particular socioeconomic groups?
1: Sure. I mean, the right to bail in California is in Article 12 of the state constitution. It's obviously a federally guaranteed right to bail. The right to bail in California has always been the right to post some version of security, whether it would be cash, property, or, you know, after there were licensed bail bondsmen uh, much later in California's history, to allow that to serve as security to uh, get your way out of jail. So the idea that it's sort of a money-based system is somewhat correct. Although I point out that under the current system, the vast, vast majority of folks who are involved in the criminal justice system are released on their own recognizance in California and around the country. And so while I think the current system is does use monetary bail, um, it's not the only form of release. I will say in California, however, and I think everybody on all sides of the debate agreed but the bail schedules in in California were just too high uh, for various reasons over the years they've been increased the entire system was out of whack, and you know obviously there were different you know solutions proposed to that of course ours was to lower the um, to lower the schedules and to make more sense of the system but anyway, that's kind of how a uh, current view of what the system looks like today
0: but and you said most are released, but it really there is an uneven distribution of social economic groups that are affected by uh, who who gets to be released who has to post the bail
1: there can be i would say that this idea that there's the rich person running around the criminal justice system and then there's the indigent person it's generally not the case i think the real advantage doesn't come when you're you know in the 75 percent bracket income it comes when you're at the the top top bracket income because no bail could serve to ever detain you for the average American, um, you know, bail is important. And after you've committed three felonies, for the average American, you're probably not getting out because your friends and family no longer believe in you and are not going to post your bail. So, But I do I do agree with you that it does, and particularly when the bail schedules are so high, the population that it hits the most are socially disadvantaged people.
0: Right. And and if they're not able to post the bail, then there's, it's, you know, we have there's societal costs in terms of, That If that's the breadwinner, that pulls that breadwinner out of an earning capability and the whole household is then not supported. And so there's a sort of a cycle. There's a social cost and there's a household cost for posting a bail beyond their affordable reach.
1: Sure, there can be. But for most people who are employed or have a job in California, bail is within reach because it's the cheapest place to get bail per dollar. But I would agree with you that... We agree that having too many people incarcerated pending trial is a problem in California, is a problem nationally. And it's not just inability to post money bails. It's, you know, uh, other holds uh, that people are on because they have two case, two low-level cases, and so they can't be released. So there's all kinds of issues like that, and we agree that incarceration is not the answer.
0: Okay. Okay. We'll we'll keep coming back to that. So SB10, and uh, my uh, previous uh, interviewee was talking about, she calls it setback 10, that it would require each county in California to establish a pre-trial services agency to gather information about newly, and I don't know where that fits in with the three strikes and all that, but with newly arrested persons and conduct pre-trial risk assessments. Break down what's going on with that system, with a pre-trial risk assessment, how it's uh, set up sure. and some of the i mean there's there's a good deal of criticism about w- what's involved in that
1: well the easiest way to understand this is the original senate bill 10 proposed to release more people from jail without having to bond, right and the way to do that would be they'd be either supervised or we would identify some people that we thought you know these pro- people probably aren't low are low risk even though we may think they're high risk so we're going to release some more people under the new version of senate bill 10 the one that became law The alternative is to say if you can't post bail and there's no bail involved, that we're just going to lock people up, one, based on, you know, what the risk assessment says, and then two, for an entire population that's going to be large in the middle, we're going to put them on state supervision, like New Jersey, who is now supervising 87% of all criminal defendants. So what ended up happening was a trading of trammeling of liberties, basically, to say that, okay, you know, we don't want these people to be, all these people to be in jail, but we're going to trample the liberties of all the ones that we let out. And rather than having a constitutional right to bail, we're just going to use these uh, risk assessments to decide who doesn't get bail. And what does a risk assessment do? It's based on typically a handful up to 15 different factors. Could be demographic factors that have been shown to correlate with disadvantaged populations, like whether you own or rent a home is one factor on many risk wow. assessments things like that. Uh, all prior crimes, prior convictions, all that sort of thing. Uh, and the one that I that really captures my imagination and that of a member of the Black Caucus that I talked to is age at first arrest. Because literally one of the staffers was arrested for joyriding on his mom's moped at age 12, and he will forever be high risk, and he just can't get over that, and neither can I. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how this system will be set up is you're either low, medium, or high. If you're low, you go home. If you're medium, you get the tentacles of the state. And if you're high, you're locked up with no bail, period.
0: So it's not even a matter there's a financial part, And and when you were talking about the probation-like conditions, I just want to, I'm not sure if this is ProPublica or what other sources, but the, those conditions for institutionalizing without a, a bail being posted under SB 10 would be mandatory drug testing electronic surveillance, curfews, and reporting they they might as well be detained
1: Right and the uh, James Kilgore, who famously you know, wrote the book on mass incarceration calls the new movement mass incarceration, electronic incarceration, yeah. and so all we're doing is we're trading one form of incarceration for another and that's why we argue that bail is important, right? because, you know, for the average person who can get bail, you'd rather do that than have the very government that's prosecuting you supervising you I mean it's just it doesn't civil liberties wise make any sense um but that's what's happened unfortunately.
0: Well there's a third choice though in all of this is no posting any bail and releasing them that there there appears in solid research that a person charged with the crime not convicted charged with the crime that they are pretty good at making their court appearances.
1: Yeah, well, the reality is most low-level misdemeanor cases, almost all of them in California, are released right now anyway. And so the question is, under the new bill, is that really going to expand the people that are going to get recognizance bonds? And the answer is absolutely not, because you know the the, the number of people out there, they're just not there to give the recognizance bonds. Most. Most people are going to get ensnared in either supervision or detention under the new system. The ones that and the ones that aren't the ones that post bail today and get out will also be ensnared uh, yeah. in in that as well.
0: Well, let's talk about what was going on in the mix of of the politicking here. The lineup of all the interests for and against it's really quite complicated. That um, current and future detainees. Of uh, various incomes, there there were probation. T- talk about all of the interests that were bargaining for what kind of law was going to come. Because it did change a great deal over the the term of this legislative session.
1: Yeah, I mean, it changed 180 degrees in about a week. But it started out, I think, with you know, you sort of had the law enforcement groups, district attorneys, chiefs of police. You know, a lot of the police union groups. Obviously, the bail industry was in opposition, just because we thought it was too sweeping. Yeah, you had victims' groups on both sides. You primarily had um, social justice groups, ACLU, etc., pushing for bail reform. Uh, and at the end, the coalition on the other side, because of the expansion of detention and supervision, fell apart. And so, you know, I was speaking with the San Francisco Public Defender during this, which you know we were on polar opposites before. Wow. And, you know, 50 civil rights groups pivoted their position to be against. And then, of course, I think some of the law enforcement groups actually ended up supporting it because of the sweeping power that it would give prosecutors and judges uh, to detain more people and to detain the people they want to detain. Well, just... uh, and so mm-hmm. that's that was what really changed everything was put the new version out with like two weeks to go. Wow.
0: Oof. Those are those sausages. <laughs> Watching yeah, Laws and Sausage, yeah. that was one heck of a dog. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader. My guest is Jeffrey Clayton, Executive Director of the American Bail Coalition, here talking about the recently passed California law, Senate Bill 10, dealing with the state's bail bond system. So there are a couple of sort of dynamics involved at this point where the... I mean, we've talked about the risk assessment and out uh, the algorithms with biases and that kind of a thing. But so what is the... This all has to be developed, and the the pretrial agencies, all this has to be codified. It's at least a 13-month kind of a period of administering, codifying this law. But the American Bail Coalition has a ballot measure to reverse this. So talk about this time frame where... SB 10 is built in to become law and what a reversal might look like if with a qualifying petition drive.
1: You bet. So the law is scheduled to take effect October of 2019. You know, it's my understanding that not much funding has yet been allocated to it, so there'll have to be a budget conversation during the next administration. My prediction would be that it gets kicked out for some time. Uh, New Jersey, when it implemented their system, took them three years to put it all together, and it's still not running correctly so I think it will take more time if they do intend to implement it the initiative process uh, in California requires um, the requisite number of signatures which in this case is around 365,000 to be gathered within 90 days of the governor's signature and so we have started the drive I can tell you the drive is going much better than expected uh, that there's opposition both on the law enforcement side of this to civil rights groups to others people within the industry etc so you know we're getting a good bounce just because the public appears to be on the side that this is you know regardless of whether you want bail reform or what bail reform should look like uh, that this is not the answer so november 26th is the deadline if we get the signatures that will uh, stall the law keep it from becoming law and it will be placed uh, before the voters on the november 2020 ballot
0: Okay, so I'm not sure I've seen anybody petitioning with that. So are there certain population areas that you're concentrating on garnering those signatures for the petition?
1: Yeah, it has to be statewide, so we have right. to get a certain number within each county. Okay. And I don't you know, it's a combination of volunteers and professional signature gatherers at this point. And I'm not sure familiar with which counties, what the locations are and that sort of thing.
0: I sort of have to give anybody involved with public policy now, and I mean all of us, that there is so much drama on the national leadership level that it's sort of, you know, there's only so much bandwidth, so much vigor that we can all give to all things public policy related, and so that you're able to get this during a midterm election season, put this together, it's credit to the sophistication of the people that hopefully that are signing the petition, as well as the the grassroots effort to, to keep moving those out there in each county.
1: Yeah, I hope so. And it's just troubling times right now. And I just wish we could have a more realistic conversation about public policy. And, you know, we talk about the disparities in the criminal justice system. And we know that if we don't change the inputs, you know, we can reform only to a certain point. And we've got to have real solutions. And right now, those appear to not be at our fingertips, unfortunately.
0: Well, let's let's peel some back though with the the public policy and uh, implications. You were saying about New Jersey; it's three years now in the making of their law, uh, voted on. But what is not running correctly, according to what your your estimation was?
1: Well, there's really two things. One is the pretrial alternatives that judges would have, put yes. people on supervision in lieu of locking them up, did not develop fully meaning that the ankle monitors aren't there, meaning that the sort of e as a alternative to regular incarceration didn't happen. And that brings up problem number two, that the number of people they're detaining has continued to increase. Oh. And so while the goal was to decarcerate, the actual uh, numbers are proving that over time, just like we've seen in the federal system, that they're just going to continue to lock people up because judges will pick jail if they don't have bail in the mix. And that's what we're seeing. And so you've got... Prosecutors filing motions in 52% of all cases to detain, uh, which is which would be an astounding number if they were actually able to win that many.
0: So, who's doing the best fiscal impact of the incarceration versus non-incarceration of pre-trial detainees?
1: Um, It's hard to say. I mean, I think people. People tend to distort the numbers on both sides. I think people that are pro-reform say we get people out, they use the per average daily cost numbers, and there's just, I don't know, there's very little um, there's very little real research done. I think the, the, the best research that I've seen, just from a 38,000 global foot view, yes. is that prevention programs in criminal justice system deliver the highest rate of return of anything we can do. Uh, which is not to say that the people in the system are too far gone but it is to say that we know what leads to these problems and we have the ability to get a fifteen to sixteen to one dollar return for example by sending kids to preschool but we choose not to do it and so um, to me that's that's the true answer and maybe that's just a hardened person who's lived in the criminal justice system grew up in a police family have had friends and family members killed in the line of duty that sort of thing but to me that's that's where the real opportunity is
0: well a part of our sort of criminal justice psyche in the united states not only i'm thinking part of the prevention of crime might also be rethinking the incarceration model of instead of emphasizing punitive measures but more rehabilitative that would be in a way of preventing a later crime with rehabilitation is that part of the bail coalitions also the charter there is to look at rethinking this culture of detention to away from punitive measures to rehabilitative measures?
1: Yeah, for me it's really, and I think um, research that I've seen, Professor Robert Wirth down at Rice University, it's this idea of the risk responsivity principle that started in the 70s. This idea that we're just gonna ratchet you over your lifetime even if you continue to commit the same crime over and over and pay your dues, that we're just going to keep ratcheting, ratcheting, ratcheting it up and making it more severe and you're more risky, which leads to more prison, more supervision by the state. And I think that's really what's driven this problem, is that there's no remorse, there's no way for someone to, quote, pay their debt to society anymore. It's you get a criminal scarlet letter, you're a bad person, and you're not savable. And that's not only anti-Christian, it's un-American, and it's something that we think is wrong. And if... The problem can be solved to where we don't have people to bail out of jail. Then we'll happily go away.
0: So we're we're sort of talking in generalities. Are there any states that have the model kind of uh, pretrial measures in place? Give let, if there isn't an existing one, then give us your like your your model your dream sort of program for this.
1: Well, I've I've seen some. Do a pretty good job in Connecticut always comes to mind.
0: Okay, um, how do they do their it? Their
1: total rate of incarceration is 5% wow. uh, pretrial. They have a mix of release options so that defendants have all kinds of different options and, and it's not just relying on bail. Uh, bail, whether they can get pretrial release, widespread um, use of recognizance bonds, and then the other thing is they have good due process. You know, defendants get it in front of judges quickly. There's no delays. And that's what all this civil rights litigation primarily has been about, right? which is bail imposed. You don't get to talk to a judge for two weeks or longer. And, you know, we just saw that in Dallas, um, their system, misdemeanor. Defendants couldn't, you know, was four to eight days and felonies up to two weeks to make a bail argument. And, you know, that can't happen in 2018.
0: Yeah, that does sound pretty dark ages. And so that's Connecticut on the informed the more enlightened model and uh, texas not so that um is there let's say you are given from whole cloth an opportunity to develop a program what would it look like
1: well i would get rid of the idea that we're going to have any big impact in a pretrial space quote unquote because the time periods are so short right we know that these cases resolve quickly and they need to be resolved more quickly so if i was designing the bail system i would have two things bail or release uh, and then, of course, preventative detention would be limited, like it is in most states, to just capital cases. And that would be it. Uh, we wouldn't have all this other stuff in the middle, because I don't think it works. I don't think it makes the public safe. I think, you know, if somebody's going to be released for 30 days of a misdemeanor, what difference does it make? If they go on this probation, that, which ends, and then they get a new probation, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So that's the way I would do it, is just go back to the pure way that the Constitution and bail system was intended, and get, put all this other stuff aside, because we're not going to... You know, fix racial disparities, blah 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 blah. During this space, it's not going to happen. It's all the arrest process that drives the disparity in the system.
0: Well, we can put out there in front of us that disparities can be a part of our ongoing kind of societal shared goal and that kind. I, I wouldn't want to sidetrack that too much. So, where do you think Jeff Clayton is? The In terms of just looking at where California is going with this, um, where where do you think realistically this is all going to end up?
1: You know, I wish I could tell you. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think the, the apple Card has been upset in such a severe way, and I think the heart of this law is completely unconstitutional. So I think where it where inevitably will lead everybody on all sides of this issue is – You know, maybe we all need to get together under a roof that doesn't have a dome over it and talk about what would be a better system. Because it seems like when we go into a building with a dome over the roof of it, uh, we don't do a very good job. And maybe that's the answer, is that everybody who cares about this issue needs to come together and and come up with some reasonable compromise that I think can move the dial in the direction that helps everybody, which I think is still a possibility.
0: What about some of these laity and um, clerical organizations that are interested in... Social justice. So out of out of a capital legislative building and into uh, places of worship. Is there? um, I mean, there's so many in that sort of we'll call it a a religious coalition versus the bail coalition. That is there some ripe opportunity to advance this, where they're already used to taking up these social services and all.
1: I think so, and I think the real thing, the real reason this legislation is evil, is because of preventative detention. I mean, the main opponent of preventative detention, because nobody thought it was constitutional, by the way, until the federal government passed it in 1984, and nobody thought it was constitutional during that time period, until the U.S. Supreme Court said that it was, but the main dissent, you know, at the urging of the ACLU, was Justice Thurgood Marshall, who said that to have preventative detention is is un-American, is wrong, and that Governments around the world label people as dangerous and hold them in trials that may never come, and that there's men, women, and children around the world locked up for a simple reason that the government says there's dangerous. And that's wrong, and that's the wrong system. And we can all argue that bail could be excessive, inexcessive, all that sort of thing. But if you are a member of a community and the government is abusing a member of your community, the last thing you want is preventative detention because you have no opportunity to go in and bail that person out and that's really truly the only way that the community could fight back and i the other thing i tell people is yes you know the the federal government donald trump has the power of preventative detention right now are you comfortable with that and and most people say they're not and would you be comfortable you know living in a community that has different politics than you with them just the power to label you as dangerous and you we could see all these cases like the freddie gray case the officers all this sort of thing you know anytime there's a big community outrage that will just lock that person up and that's not that's not America and i think that's that's the most evil part of this bill
0: and all those 12 year olds that were previously charged <laughs> yeah i mean in front know, of
1: it, that it's not convicted either that's no. the thing that really bothers me right that's it's just that you were arrested at you were in the wrong place at the wrong time i mean that's just that's not fair
0: and with profiling that ups the ante with that possibility
1: right and then we have the pred poll the police you know computers Algorithms to tell the police where to go. Well, where are they going to go? They're going to go where the, they've previously gone, and it, the cycle is going to repeat itself. And that's just—I don't know. It's just—it's really frustrating. And
0: algorithms, once established, and then they—they they sort of re- get reinforced, and it becomes a more intensified model. So that—that's where I think that could be a, a very pernicious sort of codified law.
1: Mm. Yeah, I well, think so. And I think the, the way I explain algorithms is you're taking a picture of the past, and you're locking us into it. Right because that's where you get the data is from the past.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Jeffrey Clayton, for being on Ask a Leader today.
1: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks.
0: Thank you. My guest was Jeffrey Clayton, executive director of the American Bail Coalition, here talking with us today about the recently passed California law SB10 dealing with the state's bail bond system. Be watching for the petition drive up until November 27th, where constituents of California, uh, registered voters, will have an opportunity to weigh in with rethinking some of that model. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Bye.